0: The following is brought to you by the Leave it in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! It's another knockdown! He's not he's getting up, Jim! No get up! He's not getting up, Jim! get him. up! He's not getting up! No, he's been knocked out! It's over! Mamma mia! He's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! AJ does it in style! Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer made quick. It's Fistianatos with Evan Rutkowski. He's good boy, you know. Hello, Fight Fans. It is Thursday, November 15th, and this is the Fistianatos Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski, former HBO Sports Marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing, on your screen, and behind the scenes. Email me at fistionados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistionados pod. Let's jump right into it. This one, I can already tell you, is going to probably run longer than most, but I have a lot to say about some of the issues going on here. Let's jump right into the review section. On Saturday, November 3rd, we had a couple different cards. Let's start with the World Boxing Super Series, where Nonito Donaire beats Ryan Burnett by a TKO, but it was really a Burnett injury in round four that ended the fight. Also on the card, Josh Taylor with a KO7 win over Ryan Martin. Taylor looked completely dominant during most of the fight, and Ryan Martin's a good fighter. I mean this was interesting to watch because Taylor did have to work a little bit for it. Like you saw him sort of box next level intelligently to get the win. You know, Martin didn't really adjust properly. It sets up a really interesting world boxing super series. Semi-final round with Taylor fighting Baranchik and Regis Progre fighting Kirik Relic. Nonito's, uh, Donari's win. I have a couple different thoughts on this. First of all, you have to feel really bad for Burnett, not just for how much work he put into this. If you didn't watch the fight, he threw a punch, it didn't land, and then his back just kind of gave out. I think the official injury was a slip disc, and he suffered a knockdown without getting hit. He made it to the end of the round, but then his corner called it off. And really the issue here for him is how much money he loses out on you know, from being in this tournament. Had he won, and though it was early in the fight, it looked like he was winning at the time, he would have gone on to fight uh, Tete in the semis, which on the surface looks like a winnable fight for someone like him. I mean, not a guarantee, but winnable. And simply making the finals of the World Boxing Super Series would have earned someone like Burnett more money than he's ever made as a pro, maybe in his whole career combined up to this point. 118 pounds isn't a weight class where there are obvious paydays out there for people in every single fight. I mean, there are some named fighters, but it isn't a glamour division where you automatically make a huge purse for a fight even when you have a belt. The way they structure the payments for the World Boxing Super Series, he would have done really well. Now he's lost the belt – Missed out on a win bonus, another high purse, maybe another win bonus, and then a huge purse in the finals had he beaten Tete, and it's a real shame from that point. What I will also say, though, in fairness to Donaire, is Donaire looked much more impressive than I would have anticipated. He moved really well, he didn't look sucked down by the weight cut, and he was having some legit success in the fight despite the fact that I thought Burnett was probably winning. So for Nonito, he does some good work for his legacy. He wins another belt. He definitely gets a nice payday. And then he gets an upcoming fight that is actually going to be really well-matched for him. And he could easily win that and go on to the finals. Good for him. All right, the ESPN Plus card, which had Miguel Burchell beating Mickey Roman by KO9. This was a really fun fight to watch. I did feel towards the end of the fight we went a round or two too long. By round seven, I think it would have been fair had Roman's corner waved off the fight. He's a warrior, but for guys that ha- like him that have 70 fights or whatever he had, I think over that, it's a delicate balancing act when they're taking shots. What's next for Berschelt? Uh, It'll be fun to see him hopefully take on some of those other top fighters at 130 pounds. We've talked a lot about this weight class on recent podcasts here. So I'll leave it at that and move on, uh, since there's a whole lot to get to. I don't have a whole lot to say about Sullivan Barrera winning over Shawnee Monaghan. The fight card was at a million total views last time I looked at it uh, on Facebook Watch. Barrera clearly will have a future fight of relevance in the light heavyweight division, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast pretty much all the time, actually. It's loaded with opportunity. His contract, though, wasn't renewed by main events, and I don't know whether that was a money disagreement or contract length. I, I don't know what that was. I think he still has a future in the division, so let, <coughs> let's see where he ends up. On Saturday, November 10th, in a big fight from the U.K., we had Alexander Usyk winning by KO8 over Tony Bellew. Anthony Krola on the undercard won a ho-hum decision over Dodd Jordan. Let's focus on the main event here. This was one of the bigger, more fun fights of the fall. It was on pay-per-view in the UK. It was on DAZN here in the United States. Usyk was very tentative to start out, and I think the moment may have actually gotten to him in the first few rounds. You know, remember, yes, he won an Olympic gold medal, and yes, he won the World Boxing Super Series in, in what was then a big fight. But in a lot of ways, this was a bigger moment in his career than both of those moments. This was not only his highest payday of his career, but sort of like a rite of passage to bigger fights and larger paydays. Like Going into it, he surely knows that if he wins on this big stage in Manchester, not only is this a real big fight in and of itself, where much more people are paying attention in terms of people in the UK... And people around the world. I mean, yes, the the World Boxing Super Series final was important, but nothing, the stage wasn't as big as this. There wasn't nearly as much press paying attention to it. This, though, it it just, if you win this fight, you set yourself up so big. So it's a gateway to a much more lucrative career. Um, There's a lot of the. Social media buzz on the scoring this fight. I was actually on vacation up in Big Bear with my family just for the weekend. So I didn't watch it until Sunday morning. Um, I stayed off social media. I didn't know the results. I thought Bellew looked really good in the first three or four rounds. And I think you could end up maybe giving him two or three of the first seven rounds. If you give him every benefit of the doubt, maybe he gets four but I don't really think so. I think like three at the most. It also made for an interesting watch in the United States because DAZN had Brian Campbell and Dave Bontempo on the call. And I'm assuming they were based here in the United States. Campbell especially called it pretty straight down the middle without a home bias. I mean, obviously he's calling it from the United States rather than the UK. So it was kind of surprising. They actually brought someone on from the UK who was clearly in the arena in the fourth round who had given Bellu all three of the first round, uh, you know, all the first three rounds. And it was just like this moment when you're watching it, and you're like, are you watching the same fight I'm watching? I, I do think the fourth probably went to Usyk, but could have gone either way. And he was in total control by the fifth round. Great KO for him. Bellu was really classy after the fight was over. This victory opens up a lot of options for Usyk including something we've talked about a lot on this podcast, where he can make that leap up to heavyweight. I know he's sort of hedged the bet here, or his manager has hedged his bets on that, but for me, after seeing this performance, I think he could go in with almost any heavyweight and look pretty good based on this style. He can't give away rounds like he did against Bellew in the beginning, but a fit sort of in-shape Tyson Fury is really the only heavyweight out there that I think could deal with his movement effectively. I mean, I think obviously Wilder and Joshua could both beat him based on their power and their size and the and the questions about what kind of shots he could take, because we really haven't figured that out yet. We haven't seen him take huge shots from a much bigger guy. But, you know, he actually, oddly enough, he might actually have a similar natural size to Wilder. I mean, Wilder only walks into the ring wing like, 215, and I mean, he's 6'7", but Usyk's like 6'3", and probably could walk into the ring weighing like 205, to, you know 210, something like that, and he's certainly a better technical fighter than both Wilder and Joshua. You know, we've also talked a lot about the network battle going on between DAZN and Showtime, and this is huge for DAZN, because if Usyk does move up and gives them another significant chess piece at heavyweight, I mean, they're just... Really, in one of those glamour divisions, you know, middleweight and heavyweight, they're just really winning the battle for consumers. <clears throat> At the end of the day, Usyk is going to have a lot, of, a lot of opportunities to make a lot of money, and he will be the poster boy for the World Boxing Super Series for what you can accomplish after winning the Muhammad Ali Trophy. Remember, before the World Boxing Super Series, he was fighting on places like HBO, but making relatively small purses, fighting on undercards. And now he's won the World Boxing Super Series, which gave him a ton of momentum, made him the universally recognized champion cruiserweight. He's now a commercial star after winning that big fight in the UK. And he's positioned himself nicely. And remember, the UK is basically where the heavyweight division is right now. It's all the big-name fighters are in the UK. I actually think just on a quick side note, 140 pounds for the World Boxing Super Series. could ha- that Whoever wins that could have a really similar trajectory because they'll have unified two of the titles and it will have makeable fights to unify all the titles at 140. And if they want to move up, lots of big names and big money fights available for them at welterweight. But moving on to the last fight on, on the Saturday the 10th, there was the World Boxing Super Series card where Maris has defeated uh, Noel McCallion by a close unanimous decision in a fight where he probably should have lost, but I won't call it a robbery just because it wasn't that interesting of a fight and there were a lot of close rounds. I didn't score it super closely, but I definitely thought McCallion deserved the win. The main event of that card was a really fun cruiserweight battle where Christoph Glowacki beats Maxime Vlasov by unanimous decision. But it was fun TV to watch. The World Boxing Super Series semifinals now set for all three weight classes at 118 and at 140. There are some really fun fights, and I think the next round is set for like late January, early February. Very excited for that. News and notes. I'm going to keep this part light. There, it's really two interesting things for me. There's the Mayweather and Risen thing, and then Fox coming out with. I guess we call it an upfront for for what they're doing with the PVC. I don't have a whole lot to say right now about Mayweather and Risen. I think really all this tells us is Mayweather is clearly going to fight again and is starved for the attention. I'll get to this later, but he's probably going to fight Pacquiao again or do one of these crazy other sideshow fights. Risen just got a ton of publicity for their brand by doing this whole thing with him. They're in a battle with 1FC for who controls combat sports in Asia. And look, even as of today, maybe Mayweather's in. Maybe he's not. Who knows? Kind of like who cares for something like this. I'm not going to pay 70 bucks for it, but if somebody like to zone picks it up, I'm in. I'm watching it. I mean, we're all off New Year's Eve anyways. Who cares? I will watch it if it's three rounds. Whatever. Let's move on to more relevant things. The Fox thing is something I really want to revisit in a later episode and do sort of Deep dive just on that, but for right now, initial impressions kind of a ho hum start to the fight schedule. Kind of like, okay, there's some good stuff, there's some bad stuff, there's nothing great, there's nothing to plant your flag. You have to look at this and ask how any of these fights are going to really move the needle. Maybe they're in the star building portion of what they're doing. I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here. We do have to say this fits into Fox's new strategy well. But the hardcore fans have every right to be sort of ambivalent right now. Again, maybe in Fox's defense, these fights are are showcasing stars in the beginning. And casual fans are going to be okay with that. And maybe we as hardcore fans, maybe we even need to be okay with that. We need more info before rushing to judgment here. But that all being said, (coughs) instant impressions. I'm very curious to see how the talent sharing will go with Showtime. Fox is starting out with a lot of PVC welterweights, and I did not expect that at all. I thought it would divide up by weight class more, and I thought Showtime would be keeping that, that glamour welterweight fighter sort of roster that the that the PVC has. I was also surprised to see how like there's some of those relevant heavyweight fights on Fox when we know Showtime is in desperate need of opponents for Deontay Wilder. I don't want to get too far in the weeds. I definitely want to do a whole show on this, but let's get some more information first. Okay. On to the deep dive and this is something I'm extremely passionate about. This is going to be a long one. The first thing, I, <coughs> excuse me. The first thing I want to look at here for the deep dive is what the PBC appears to be doing with these upcoming pay-per-views. I want to look at how Fox might tie in, but let's start with what we know right now. Right now, it looks like the PBC is going to do three pay-per-views very close together. At first, it looked like it would be in consecutive months. Now, it's looking a little bit less like that. We know there will be a Showtime pay-per-view on December 1st in L.A. featuring Deontay Wilder fighting Tyson Fury for the WBC heavyweight and quote-unquote lineal titles for whatever that's worth. We think Manny Pacquiao is fighting Adrian Broner on Showtime pay-per-view probably on January 19th in the United States. We know that Mikey Garcia is fighting Errol Spence on Fox pay-per-view. That was originally conceived of as a February pay-per-view, but now it sounds like it's March 16th in Dallas. We don't know much else because there was leaking of information. It kind of came to this. We do, There's some of the official announcements. We don't know how these things are being promoted. We don't know what the expectation level is for some of these things. Kudos to reporters like Lance Pugmire uh, and Mike Coppinger. They broke most of the relevant information for all this. But let's, let's get down into it. Let's, it. let's look at the circumstances surrounding each individual pay-per-view event. But I want to also look at them in the aggregate because I think on the surface, there's a plausible explanation for each individual event. But taken as a whole, these just don't make any sense from a business standpoint. One of the major points I've made on this podcast is I still expect the pay-per-view market to change drastically. You know, I think that anything sub-500,000 pay-per-view buys as an event, especially sub-300,000 pay-per-view buys, I kind of expect those to go away. This is all because of the changes in the landscape of the sport that we've talked about at length on this show. Streaming services like DAZN and ESPN Plus offer huge potential to permanently change this landscape, and those are obvious, but less obvious is what's happening on network TV. The ESPNs and Foxes of the world are forcing changes in the pay cable universe as well. I want to emphasize here that part of the reason HBO left the business is because they had lowered their boxing budget to the point where they were putting on fights, even big fights, where the license fees that they were paying to promoters were the same or even less as what places like ESPN and Fox could pay for a show where they sold ads against the show. Once that change happened, that actually may have mattered more than upstart streaming services entering the fray. I mean, HBO couldn't compete and they left. And this is now the problem that Showtime is staring at. I expect Showtime's budget in 2019 to be significantly higher than HBO's budget in 2018, But it's still, it might not even be much higher than what Fox and ESPN have. It might even be lower than ESPN. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, ESPN has to put on a lot more shows. But just go with me here, and I'll eventually get to the point. Showtime's budget is certainly lower than DAZN's budget. Like, that's not even a question. DAZN's budget is huge. And they're trying to put on more boxing and better boxing with bigger stars than anyone else. And with the license fees they can now pay, that's a crunch on Showtime as well. The larger point of saying all this is that the market for services in the industry is now to the point where if you are a star like Deontay Wilder, Showtime, and it sounds like Fox, maybe based on what we're seeing here from the initial schedule, can no longer afford to put you on regular pay cable or network TV. And that's a major problem for the PBC because we have no evidence yet that Wilder can go on pay-per-view and do well. And I want to emphasize here that Showtime is currently the industry leader in boxing. They were the industry leader in 2018. They made great fights in the first half of the year, many times with undercards as well that were good and like really closely matched. I think there's some criticism you can send their way. They were probably too late in the second half of the year, but the overall point I'm trying to make here is that they are gonna be squeezed on fighter salaries in a real way. Here are the practical realities of that. Let's say Wilder beats Fury on pay-per-view December one. Showtime does not have too many options for him. He can credibly fight Ortiz or Fury again in rematches. Or on the Showtime side of the street, I guess the PBC side of the street, maybe they could make Dominic Brazil or Adam Karnaski, neither of which is that exciting. Dizone can offer Anthony Joshua, Pavetkin, Jarrell Miller, Usyk, or Dillian White, all of which are probably more, you know, more money for the fights, and they're not going to be on pay-per-view. They're going to be on Dzone in a big event. I'm not sure Showtime has a single other fight you know, fight other than a Fury rematch, which would even justify going to pay-per-view. And the difference in purses can be big. Let's look at some simple math here. If Wilder versus any other fighter does 300,000 pay-per-view buys, let's say Wilder versus Fury does 300,000 pay-per-view buys, then 70 dollars per pay-per-view, that's 21 million in revenue right there. Sounds like it's great, right? Anyone who has listened to my show though, knows that the cable systems here in the US they'll take anywhere from 30 to 50 percent of the revenue, and for a smaller fight like this, trust me, it'll be much closer to 50 percent. Well, that leaves about 11 or $12 million left over. The other problem is that any pay-per-view fight is going to be tough to have less than like $1 bucks in marketing and other event expenses, even for the smallest of shows. And that's cutting costs to the bone and not even counting undercard fighter pay. There's a laundry list of things that you need to create for cable companies, other industry stuff. There's major press conferences, other events that you have to do to promote the event in the right way. There's other fighters to pay. Yes, there are other revenue streams, but the overall point I'm trying to make here is that with fighter salaries, what Showtime and now Fox, so really the PBC are essentially saying by sending these fights to pay-per-view, is we are going to advance careers here in a way where core fans get gouged because we don't have the money to pay fighters for these kind of events. So let's keep going with that math. Let's say Wilder got seven or eight million bucks, which is kind of where the market stands for him. That's what Eddie Hearn was rumored to offer him to fight Dillian White a couple months earlier this year. Let's say Fury got 4 or $5 million guaranteed. Well, there goes all of your money from the pay-per-view in probably the best possible scenario. Yes, there's other places like Foreign Rights and Gate where the, where the fight can get more money, but there's also serious expenses that we haven't counted for either. So granted, what Showtime is saying here is true, Look at what they paid in 2018 for Wilder. He made $2.1 million to fight Ortiz on regular Showtime. In order to pay what the market is willing to pay him, you do have to move him onto pay-per-view. That all makes sense in the contained bubble of Showtime and what we call the quote-unquote pay-cable era of boxing with HBO and Showtime. But that no longer makes sense. Dazone could easily top those fight purses to make big fights at heavyweight for both Wilder and Fury. And these purses... They wouldn't even like you. That's not even what they'd get for the Joshua fight. There's other fights where they'd still be making that much. ESPN might also be able to make a very relevant offer. They promote Brian Jennings, they televised the Pula fight recently, and who knows what's going on with Joseph Parker. Depending on what their goal was, they could put Wilder Jennings' fight on regular ESPN and probably offer significantly more than what Showtime paid Wilder for the Ortiz fight. Maybe they can't top seven or eight million bucks that Wilder might make by Fighting Fury on pay-per-view, but they would be able to do that for the right international event on ESPN Plus, maybe. The last time Crawford fought on regular ESPN, he got paid $3.5 million, and the fight did a great rating. I'm not trying to get into hypothetical network trades here. I'm just sort of in a long-winded way trying to explain the current marketplace for fighter pay, and unfortunately for Showtime and the PVC, it's at a point where they need to take a hard look at their pay-per-view strategy. Because right now consumers are paying essentially the same price for DAZN and ESPN Plus combined together as they are for Showtime over the course of the year. And DAZN is clearly going to put on pay-per-view worthy fights without charging you pay-per-view prices. ESPN Plus has demonstrated the ability to do the same thing. Taking a step back, what we are really talking about here is a huge battle of ideas. This is the old-school boxing way of presenting you content conflicting with the new-school way of presenting you content, and it explains a lot. We are going to see this battle fought primarily between the months of December and May because when you look overall at what the PBC is doing, there is a timeline on it. You wouldn't see three pay-per-views in three or four months if DAZN was already a year into its programming slate. Now that Canela has signed with them, you're on an even tighter timeline. And even going back to the pay-per-view slate, it's somewhat ironic that Showtime is doing these types of shows. They are stuck between a rock and a hard place on this, and I do have some empathy for them. Back when they were challenging HBO, one of the major issues was that HBO was putting on too many pay-per-views, especially ones like Ward versus Kovalev, where only a few years ago that would be on regular HBO. Espinosa's reign at Showtime has been built around the notion that you should see big fights on regular Showtime, and that was great for both his brand and Showtime's brand. But now as the industry leader, Showtime has realized that you have to build pay-per-view stars somehow, and the problem they have is that the horse that brought them to the race, Floyd Mayweather, isn't going to fight on pay-per-view against any of their top up-and-comers like Errol Spence, like Keith Thurman. And that causes another problem because when putting on these smaller pay per view shows to advance fighters' careers, they face a huge time crunch in the current environment and need all of these fights to happen before the zone can make the case that you don't need pay per view in your lives as a consumer. I mean, just today, the zone put out ads that blast pay per view and talks up their service as a replacement for it. December 15th will be the first show to do that with Canelo fighting Rocky Fielding, and the stretch from December through May 4th when Canelo will likely fight again, probably against Danny Jacobs, is going to be key for DAZN. If they put on great fights, add in other programming, like maybe a well-designed studio show or something like that, and they are able to keep subscribers who are signing up because they simply want to see Canelo fight, that's how they build a viable business. That's how they make the argument to consumers that for the same price as two of the pay-per-views that the PBC is giving you, you can get more on zone for the whole year, get two Canelo fights, and make it all worth it. The PBC has to hope that by sneaking these pay-per-view fights in now, they can advance the careers of Wilder, Pacquiao, and Spence such that the next fights on pay-per-view will surely be in that category of pay-per-views that are above like 500,000 buys, Where, as a consumer, you just sort of realize that they're undeniably pay-per-view fights. Because don't think for a second that these smaller pay-per-view fights are anything else but a prelude to bigger ones that will get fed later in the year. On a personal level, I have no problem with bigger pay-per-view fights. I really don't. And it's not just because I worked on them. But I have a major issue with fights that are below that 300000 by range that you clearly go on to streaming services at this point, or just be part of the regular programming that you pay for. The hard part for consumers is I, along with many others, have talked about the pay-per-view system changing, but these smaller pay-per-views are exactly the type of shows where, as a programmer, you have no leverage to change the system at all. You want to change the system, you need to do on the really big ones. This is why I've personally have issues with what the PBC is doing here, really with Showtime and Fox and their overall strategy. They're doing nothing to change the system at all. I mean, in this day and age, how can you possibly expect consumers to spend $70 on three separate occasions over four months, so $210 extra in total for three fights that the same consumers can expect to see on zone. Especially when those fights are just going to set up bigger pay-per-view fights down the line like Mayweather Pacquiao 2, or I'm sure Showtime is hoping Wilder versus Joshua. We talk all the time on this podcast about the ripple effects that happen because of certain moves in the industry, and you're seeing this from all sides here. Talk to anyone who worked on HBO pay-per-view fights from 2006 to 2010, and you'll understand that putting on too many pay-per-view fights in consecutive months, or just in an overall short period of time, has a serious effect on each individual pay-per-view. Combine that with the ripple effects that Dazone and ESPN's new fighter salary dimensions have, and you can even include Fox in that too, maybe, the pressures are all working against these levels of pay-per-view fights. The problem is that you're depending on the same consumers who are already subscribing to Dazone and ESPN Plus to buy these pay-per-views. And I just don't think they will, certainly in the long run, probably not even in the short run. I think the PVC is going to be staring down the barrel of at least one and possibly two of these pay-per-views failing from a business standpoint. That's not good, because depending on how each deal is structured, the dollar shortfall could come directly from Showtime's budget for the fights, or Fox's for that matter. Which means that if you subscribe to Showtime, but don't buy pay-per-views, You're subsidizing them whether you like it or not. And not only are you subsidizing those fights, but you'll also see less than what you would have expected to see for your subscription. Let that sink in for a minute. The same thing applies potentially to Fox for the pay-per-view that they're putting on. Yes, you're not subscribing to Fox, but you'll just see less fights or less good ones because of this if they lose money on it. Now not all the deals are structured like that, where the network is guaranteeing fighter salaries, but many of them are, and more on this later. But we've been talking about this on a theoretical level right now, and I want to get down to each of these fights on an individual level. But before I do that, I do want to repeat what I said earlier. I think Showtime is going to be the industry leader in 2019 right now, and I appreciate the way that they've tried to put on big fights like this, you know, not on pay-per-view in the past. They put on very few lower-level pay-per-view fights to their credit. I do understand why they're trying to do this right now, though. They're trying to advance the careers of these PBC fighters and do it before they face these, others pres- these other pressures. That's great, but again, my take is the market is going to dictate something very different. 300,000 buys for each of these fights is a stretch. And I bet probably one of them underperforms in a real way, potentially not even reaching 200,000 buys or even less. We've gone over the 300K math, and that's okay, but the 200K math for a pay-per-view buy, that doesn't work out that well. That's $14 million in total revenue, which about half has gone to cable companies. You got $7 million bucks. That's a fifth of what zone is paying Canelo per fight not to fight on pay-per-view. It's also more but not crazy more than HBO or Showtime would pay for a big main event license fee. 2.5 to 3 million is realistic for something like that, just for a main event. But 4 million or even a little bit more is realistic for the whole card, maybe even up to 5 million. Now going back to the pay-per-view math for 200,000 buys, 7 million minus some expenses, let's keep them cheap and say a million bucks, that's 6 million to pay for the whole card. That's not far off from 4 or 5000000 million-ish. How much is fan loyalty worth to Showtime or Fox at this point? Because with the overall money the PBC is getting, I don't think you want to alienate your fan base here. What I'm really saying is that when you're Showtime and you face the question of either sending one of these level fights to pay-per-view or just doing one less lower-level night of fights over the course of the year, Pay more for that big event. I think the market is starting to dictate that if you just pay a little bit more, it's going to work out better. DAZN is clearly planning on putting several big cards where they will pay more than that. Sometimes significantly more than that for fights to not be on pay-per-view. And it won't take consumers long to wise up and not spend $70 on a card just based on the sheer volume of boxing available to them. So let's do this. Let's, Let's look at each individual fight. Let's take a closer look at Wilder Fury to start. Here's an example of something where I think it could actually have a chance to do okay. Out of all three of the upcoming shows, this one makes the most sense. For starters, there's only been one boxing pay-per-view this year through the traditional system, Canelo vs. Can 2, which cost $85 and was a really good fight. Fans who may have been mentally prepared to buy three or four pay-per-view purchases over the course of the year can look at this and say, And maybe it's worth it. Also, with storylines and setup, it's semi-understandable. You have a fighter in Deontay Wilder who has emerged as one of the top American TV fighters in the sport. He'll likely have the second highest pay cable TV rating of the year to Triple G. He draws a decent crowd to arenas when he's fighting in Alabama or Brooklyn. And there is a pretty solid story behind him. Overall in the U.S., Deontay Wilder is clearly not a superstar by any means. But in the boxing world, in the pay cable universe, you have to look at start elevating him to pay-per-view. The problem is for most fighters like him, you have to have another pay-per-view star to match him up against. And there just aren't any of those out there who are pay-per-view stars in the United States. And what I'm referring to here is all in the old pay cable system, where at a place like HBO, a fighter would graduate from Boxing After Dark to World Championship Boxing, and then ultimately to pay-per-view. In that world, Wilder would be ready to make the jump, probably right around now. Now let's look at Tyson Fury. In the UK, he's an absolute star. He's fodder for the more salacious news outlets, and he's still the legit lineal heavyweight champion of the world. He beat Klitschko, won all the belts, lost all of them in an incredible personal journey, and now he's on the comeback. But he never lost any of them in the ring. So this is something that you can sell I mean, maybe four or five years ago, you'd expect to do 300,000 buys, maybe even a little bit more for something like this. And there have been some major things that have broken Showtime's way on this. Fury seems to be in shape. The fight hasn't gotten lost in the shuffle of other events and no other broadcaster has put up a major scheduling challenge to the fight. You know, these are why this could have a positive outcome, but let's look at all the negatives. First of all, the number one negative here is Tyson Fury himself for a variety of reasons. I'll keep these quick because I've talked about them at length before on the show, but will he actually show up for the fight? The last time he had a fight of this magnitude scheduled, he was wearing a Batman suit looking ridiculous for the rematch with Klitschko. There was a several year period where no one could depend on him to do anything, and at the time this fight was made, we didn't really know how this part would go. It appears to be going well. Fury looks like he's in good shape, he's kept his weight down, he's a guest on Joe Rogan's podcast, and the interview was fascinating. Not only did he sound like he'd be showing up for the fight in a real way, reassuring people like me, but he also reached a large group of fringe boxing fans that could be convinced to buy a fight like this. I'm sure there will be more PR and marketing hits to come, but the real pressure for the fight starts soon, and we need Tyson Fury to stay on the right path here. That's some real pressure, and while I hope personally that he does that, it's no guarantee. That's not the only hard thing for this fight. The date isn't great. December is traditionally a pretty good month to do pay-per-view fights and boxing, but this is the week after Thanksgiving, and most of the time the bigger pay-per-view events haven't happened on this specific weekend. There are examples of some that have, but most of them came before this weekend turned into the college football championship, like the conference championship weekend. Say what you want to say, but the reality is you have no hope of converting casual boxing fans who are also mainstream sports fans into buys for this fight. It's just not going to happen if those college champion, you know, conference championship games are really strong. They usually are. Another weird part about this date is literally what Showtime is doing to itself that night and what all this huge amount of boxing has really meant. These are two different but related points. So let's look at them further. Showtime could have put this fight card that it's putting on regular Showtime. They could have put it on a week earlier. They could have tried to have the audience for some shoulder programming like build towards it. Kind of what I've talked about specifically on the episode regarding Canelo Triple G2 and how HBO is kind of screwed up in terms of the buildup to that fight. Showtime's actually airing the show on December 1st, so if you're a Showtime subscriber, you can watch Chavez Jr. fight Angulo from Staples, and then the Adana Stevenson fight against Bosdick from, I think it's Toronto, and it starts at 7 or 8 p.m., and then when it's all over, the pay-per-view undercard starts from Staples. That's right. Showtime's putting on its own sh- fight on regular Showtime and then having a pay-per-view. So in a strange way, Showtime is counter-programming themselves. And I know they aren't looking at it that way. I'm sure they're going to say that they're giving core fight fans a strong night of boxing top to bottom, including a big heavyweight title fight at the end. But while the stevenson Fostic fight is really good, the only good fight on the card is the main event of the pay-per-view. And I'm not sure savvy boxing fans will look at it all as a positive thing. If you're getting... Steven Stevenson versus Gvozdick on regular showtime. Why bother paying the pay-per-view rate? There's some bigger names on the pay-per-view undercard, but they're all in big mismatches. So timing wise, it's a lot to sit through if you're going to watch the free fights before getting to the pay-per-view undercards and finally getting to the one that really matters. So I kind of get why you might skip out on, on the card. Initially, there were rumors that the ticket sales were doing really well. And I think they were. I think they did like a million bucks in the first week or something like that. You have to think that interest has cooled down you know, significantly, though. Maybe not significantly, but interest has definitely cooled down. I mean, they put Chavez Jr. on the card at Staples, I'm assuming, to help ticket sales. The quality of the undercards went down dramatically from what they were rumored to be in the beginning, and you have to assume they did that to save money. And let's not forget that Canelo is fighting two weeks later for $10. Or if you haven't subscribed to the zone yet, for free, which can't be helpful. I mean, I know he's not fighting a super worthy opponent, but it can't be helpful at all. There's also been a big fight almost every weekend starting on September 8th. Sometimes two or even three cards worthy of your attention. And for consumers, I think it just it hits at that point, like especially to hardcore fight fans. Where, yeah, like you do want to watch Wilder Fury, but just given the sheer volume of solid to great fights coming your way this fall, is it really worth it to fork out seventy bucks for this one when everything else has just come with your subscription to whatever you're subscribing to? I mean, there's a lot of scenarios where this heavyweight fight isn't all that memorable in the end, despite all this, I still want to emphasize that with this fight in particular. It is understandable why you're making it and why it's not on regular showtime and instead going to pay-per-view. If you're going to bring one of the UK stars here, given the type of content we've seen on DAZN and ESPN+, consumers understand this. Like Tyson Fury kind of is that guy. I think had Canelo moved to DAZN, had that happened a year earlier, consumers might not have the same level of understanding, but... They will get this fight off before Canelo fights on zone. But now let's move on to the January fight, which on the surface seems like the most worthy of pay-per-views out of all these, but I think it merits the most questions too. So for this one, we've heard initial reports that Manny Pacquiao will fight Adrian Broner on January 19th, likely in Las Vegas, on Showtime pay-per-view, but nothing's really been officially announced yet. Man, oh man, there's some red flags here. I mean, again, on the surface, this has to be one of the bigger, like traditional pay-per-view draws in Manny Pacquiao fighting one of the bigger sort of cable and regular TV draws in Adrian Broner. A few years ago, this would be be doing five or 600,000 buys, no problem. But we're way out of that world right now. First of all, we're almost two months out and we haven't heard anything official for the fight which has got to be troubling because we're approaching our first set of deadlines from the cable industry in terms of the spot and the other messaging items that are due. And more importantly, both fighters should either be starting training camp right now or entering it very soon. And it's being reported that there's going to be a press conference on Monday, but Monday of Thanksgiving week is just not a great time to do a PR kickoff in any way, shape, or form. Also, going back to the pay-per-view deadlines... I don't think these deadlines are things you can mess around with that much because we're dealing with the cable industry over three major holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. So I'm just not sure how you can run an effective PR campaign for this fight given those parameters. But let's go back to that first question. Is this fight actually happening? I don't have any inside knowledge on Manny Pacquiao's tax issues, and maybe they are waiting on a deal with the U.S. government before they officially announce everything. But then why do the fight January 19th It's not like that's a great date or something. I mean, it's actually a terrible pay-per-view date. It's Martin Luther King weekend, so there's lots of people traveling. I mean, that might help the gate, but it doesn't help anything remotely close to pay-per-view sales. In fact, it's probably a huge drag on pay-per-view sales in most scenarios. There's the AFC and NFC title games that Sunday. So while the games won't conflict with boxing on Saturday night, like wildcard or divisional playoff rounds would for the NFL, They will definitely soak up all the oxygen in the sports landscape. You're relegated to second fiddle no matter what in the week leading up to that fight. And maybe not even second fiddle. It's pretty much NFL first, second, and third, and you're off the medal stand. It's also significant that there won't be that much boxing on or around New Year's or the first weekend or two in January. I mean, there usually isn't even much towards the end of December, but that's changing in a major way this year just because of all the network competition. You need those fights to create the awareness for this fight. I mean, usually the way you build to a great pay-per-view is by showing great fights on, re- on your regular broadcasting entity, be it Showtime, Fox, whatever, and the build-up to it. There's also, to my knowledge, no precedent ever of a, uh, of a successful pay-per-view fight in January. I mean, literally ever. I could be wrong on that. You know, I'm not sure, like, quite frankly, I'm not even sure there's ever been a major pay-per-view even attempted in January in the modern era. Some of that is just like this thought that people spend a ton of money in November and December for the holidays, so there isn't a good reason to ask them to open up their wallets right after that time frame. I mean, maybe that's outdated. Maybe it's not, though. I mean, maybe it still holds true. Another issue goes back to who's fighting and what qualifies it as a pay-per-view. Broner has never fought on pay-per-view, at least in a main event. Sure, he gets very good, if not great, TV ratings, but he's not an elite fighter, so most feel he's not a real pay-per-view guy at all. Pacquiao, for all his pay-per-view glory, has had his last two fights on regular ESPN and ESPN Plus, so consumers have been able to watch both of those fights for a combined five bucks. Once you've been on the discount section, I mean, it takes a special mashup to get back into full-blown pay-per-view, and I'm not sure this mashup does it. The other question I have for this fight is why isn't it on Fox just from a pure business standpoint? I mean, like I said earlier, I'm going to do a whole episode on what Fox is doing at some point, maybe the next episode, just because the press conference just happened. But in general, the... <laughs> In general, the way longer-term commitments like this work is that in order to get advertisers to sign up for the long-term, you need to hit certain audience marks, which in advertising we call GRPs or gross rating points. If you don't hit those, then long-term sponsors either get a rebate on their commitment or they get quote-unquote free ads until they hit the numbers they were promised. This is why, even if it might not make sense from a pure financial standpoint, You want to really start strong with a big fight. Not only will you get a huge head start on hitting your promises to long-term advertisers, thus making yourself attractive for more long-term advertisers, you also have a built-in platform on your show, which is getting a big number of viewers to promote all of your upcoming shows, which won't have the advantage of someone like Manny Pacquiao fighting someone like Adrian Broner. Yes, in a pure transactional sense, for one show, you might quote unquote lose money, but this sets up your future shows really well. Finally, and this can be the transition point to starting to talk about Spence Garcia, is that in direct contrast to Wilder Fury, no one was calling for Pacquiao Broner. I mean, sure, it'll be a fun fight, but the public was not demanding this fight for any reason. It was clearly made for cynical storyline reasons so that the winner gets Floyd Mayweather next on pay-per-view, and I don't need to pay $140 to see how these combined storylines work out. I pretty much already know how they're going to work out. There's more drama from the WWE than there is here. and a transition to the third PBC fight and Fox's first pay-per-view fight, No one was calling for Spence Garcia either. I mean, I guess I take that back. Mikey Garcia was calling for it, and that's it. I want to try to be fair to this one, so let's talk through the positives of it as much as I can, but there isn't much to lean on here. Here are the positives. There's two guys who are definitely pound-for-pound top 10 and arguably both pound-for-pound top 5. And it is an interesting, dare-to-be-great moment for Mikey Garcia. If he can pull it off, I mean, Wow. What a move on his part, and that would do tremendous things for him in his career. To that end, it'll probably be an interesting fight in terms of how overall strategy works for each fighter. Like, it's definitely gonna be not only the overall strategy, but the in-ring in-round and in-ring tactics that they're gonna be using. I mean, but to be honest, like there's a lot of negatives here too. I mean, let's start with the obvious counters to the positives. While both guys are pound for pound players, most matchups like this happen after each fighter has cleared out his own division. That's when they become really attractive, because each of them has conquered every possible foe that makes sense for them, and then you get a real public demand to see these kind of fights. And that's just not the case here at all. Garcia has an easier path to that. I mean, he really just needs to fight Lomachenko, and if he beats Lomachenko, Maybe you can argue there's a fight or two for him at 140 pounds before, you know, you would personally need to see him fighting the welterweight champ. But I certainly want to see him fight Loma before I see any other fight outside of lightweight. Spence, I mean, he even has a longer path to this. I mean, I wouldn't like I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Porter or Thurman. And that's just on the PVC side of the street. Obviously, the biggest fight out there at welterweight form is Terrence Crawford. I don't even think it's that close either. The other thing which piggybacks on this notion of cleaning out your division is that there are undeniable pay-per-view fights that I just listed that involve each fighter cleaning out his own division. As a fighter, you need a big fight to launch you into pay-per-view. Garcia and Lomachenko and Spence Crawford, maybe even Spence Thurman. I mean, I don't know about that quite as much, probably not, but but maybe Spence Thurman. Those all qualify as pay-per-view fights right now. They might even do better than all three of the pay-per-view fights we're talking about right now. And on that point, going back to the whole beginning of this deep dive, one of the major points I wanted to make here is Showtime doing these fights to advance careers. I'm not even sure how this advances anyone's career at all. There's really only one scenario where anyone comes out of this with their career advanced, and that's if Mikey Garcia comes in and pulls off the upset and wins. The elephant in the room for this fight is clearly the question of whether it's going to be competitive or not. There are smart people out there who think it will be, but there are a lot more smart people who think it won't be. For as good of a technical fighter as Mikey Garcia is, Errol Spence might be just as good or even better. And that's not considering that he's a more explosive athlete, like much more explosive. He's significantly larger than Mikey. I mean, just look at the photo of them together on the Tuesday at that Fox Upfront thing that they did for boxing. That's why comparisons like Oscar versus Pacquiao don't fly for me here. While Garcia might be a smarter boxer, not even might be, I think he's definitely a smarter boxer. While he can potentially win the overall strategic battle and maybe the in-fight tactical battle, it may not matter because all of those reasons I listed, like it might all just be a moot point. I don't want to sit on my high horse here because I'm not an expert when it comes to this stuff. I probably qualify as just a relatively smart fan, but I am an expert when it comes to selling the fight, and the problem with the sell is that enough of the general public agrees with me on this. That's a huge red flag for pay-per-view, especially one that will end up going last out of the three in a short period of time. Promoted properly in a world where maybe there haven't been any pay-per-view fights in a while and Garcia might have beaten someone like Lomachenko, I think a show like this could hit 250,000 or something like that. But in the world we're in right now, I don't think it does that. I think it does. It's it's much more likely to do really poorly. I mean, it's silly to predict buy rates this early because so many things can go right or wrong. But there's a clear pathway for this fight to do under 150,000 buys. I mean, there's a pathway for it to barely clear 100,000 buys. If the Pac-Broner fight happens, if DAZN and ESPN and ESPN Plus are putting on really strong programming to start the year with fights that can compete with this one, and this one could take a complete nosedive. To be fair to the PVC, we don't know yet what Fox will do for this. They might have a really strong commitment here. It's their first pay-per-view they're ever doing, and they could throw massive resources behind it just to avoid embarrassment. I mean, if they choose, they could almost like will this fight to be successful, just force it and throw so many marketing resources behind it that for one night they it will be successful. But I don't think they will. In aggregate, the PBC is taking a huge risk here. I mean these are borderline reckless pay-per-views from Showtime and Fox. The worst case scenario here is really bad. Fury could befuddle Wilder and win by a wide margin on rounds. And that's totally plausible. Then the PBC would lose any shred of leverage they had in negotiations to put the Joshua Wilder fight on Showtime pay-per-view in the United States. And Showtime might not even see the positive effects of what the win could do for Fury, because Fury would surely want to go fight Joshua in the UK. If Pacquiao beats Broner in a ho-hum fight that underperforms with pay-per-view sales, like does 250,000 buys or something like that, which is certainly plausible. Broner, I mean, he isn't a high, vo- high volume puncher. It's certainly like you'd think it's fun, but it could be less exciting than you think. I mean, not only does that lessen the demand for a Floyd-Pacquiao rematch, it might embolden Floyd to increase his financial demands to the point where the fight actually gets tough to make. I mean, why wouldn't Floyd increase his demands that Pacquiao can't perform on pay-per-view against Broner? If this underperforms, it could really limit what Showtime could do as a broadcasting entity for 2019, because in order for Pacquiao to fight in the U.S., not only are they going to have to erase his U.S. tax bill, but they're also going to have to make it fiscally worth it for it to come here and make the fights, which really means they're putting up a hefty guarantee and banking on the fact that they're going to get Floyd versus Manny, too. Finally, If Spence knocks out Garcia, maybe not early, but maybe in like round eight or nine after Garcia, you know, maybe he had some initial initial success, but then he just takes a big beating. I mean, especially if that one underperforms, Wow, that would be bad. Spence would really gain nothing from it at all. And considering that he has fought one round since January of 2018 in the prime of his career, that is a long stretch where he didn't fight any of the very strong group of welterweights that PBC has to offer. There's real potential for Garcia to take a beating that could put him out for a while. And maybe there's some kind of Machiavellian PBC play to this where it knocks him off his perch and then have to pay him in the long run or something like that. Either way, he'd have a really uncertain future if he takes a big beating. He doesn't have a lot of opponents on the PBC side of the street at 140. Maybe he could go back down to 140, rehab his career for a fight and try to get the winner of the world boxing super series. I don't know what he does at that point. I also want to use a real world example, example here to address one of the things I've been touching on here all episode. When a pay-per-view fight gets set, if the network, i.e. Showtime or Fox has guaranteed the fighters certain amounts of money, then they are the ones at risk. If the pay-per-view underperforms, that doesn't happen every time. When Floyd signed with Showtime, Showtime did put up the guarantee. So for fights like Floyd versus Berto, Showtime covered that huge financial bridge because the fight did under 500,000 buys and Floyd still got us $30 million bucks. It didn't matter for that fight because Floyd had already fought Manny that year and Showtime was swimming in cash. But it's not always like that. When Ward and Kovalev fought, and full disclosure, I never put eyes on the contract so, I'm going off of what was reported and things I heard inside HBO. The general consensus was that Ward had a huge guarantee from Rock Nation and Kovalev had a deal based on a percentage of profit sharing. Given how poorly both of those shows did, Rock Nation took a fiscal bath while Made Events is still thriving in the boxing industry. And to put a button on all this, as mentioned earlier, The current market for fighter pay has gone up to the point where competing entities can give us a good idea of how much offers might be for all these fighters going on pay-per-view. We also know what kind of buy rates we think we're looking at for these kind of fights and how much revenue we can expect to generate. Furthermore, we know that most of the promoters that are going to be used to promote these fights and put them on, they aren't the type of promoters who are going to guarantee huge amounts of dollars to their fighters for pay-per-view fights based on these business models. These are the kind of promoters that can't take huge financial risks. So the guaranteed money is much more likely going to come from the network. That's why I think this is borderline reckless because there's lots of scenarios where these three fights come out with less than 750,000 total buys maybe even less than 600,000 total buys in the worst case scenarios. I mean, even in the best case scenarios, they're gonna get like a million buys total. I don't really think that's likely at all. But if you're the PVC and my proxy Showtime and Fox and you come out with no one's career advanced and you get less than 600,000 total buys, that probably means that you need to rehab all of their careers with showcase fights on your network. It sets everything back at a key time because this period in the fall of 2018 and the spring of 2019 is one of the most important times in the last several decades to put your best foot forward as a broadcasting entity in this sport. You'll never face tougher competition. ESPN has already had major rating success this fall and is putting on a pretty strong offering on ESPN+. We've seen some promising signs for what their early 2019 is going to look like. The Zone will be unveiling Canelo, several other high-priced signings as well, and as we mentioned earlier, they will be staring at one of the most important stretches in terms of what their U.S. future looks like with boxing in between Canelo's first fight in December through his second fight likely in May. This is surely the time to put out your best product offering if you're zone. Showtime's 2018 spring was one of the strongest it's ever had. And while we haven't heard anything of what 2019 is going to look like, this is not the time to take a step back. But we don't know yet. And if these things go wrong for them, it could be bad. This is a metaphoric Clash of the Titans in terms of old-school pay-per-view model versus the new way of broadcasting boxing content. I mean, this could be Waterloo for what was originally HBO's pay-per-view model and now has ironically become the PBC's and Showtime's pay-per-view model. But it could just as easily become a running joke about Zone and how to lose $365 million in the fight game. You... Especially you, the hardcore consumers, are the literal troops in this fight. Because if you decide to buy these pay-per-views, then trust me, you'll keep getting them. You need to decide the way that you want to consume your content and how you want to pay for it. The risks for Showtime and DAZN are very real. I mean, it's not a guarantee that three years from now, either of them will be televising boxing at the same level. Maybe the most mind-blowing thing out of all this is that the only place that is currently diversified enough in all of this is ESPN and Top Rank. They televise on regular ESPN. They've got a subscription st- streaming service in ESPN Plus. And though they haven't done a pay-per-view show yet, they said they're going to do that. Crazy, right? Whew. All right, that was long. I'm going to try to make this last preview section a little short and wrap it up quickly. I'm also probably going to write an article that's going to be much shorter about the same subject. I feel it deserves a lot of attention. I feel that this is a key moment in how you're going to see all of the television that you consume in terms of boxing. Obviously, I'm pretty passionate about it. All right. On Friday, tomorrow night, November 16th, from Oklahoma City, airing right after the NBA on ESPN, we have Maurice Hooker fighting Alex Sacedo for Hooker's WBO junior welterweight title. Uh, Butcher's name every time, Mean Machine Cavaliuskas, is fighting Roberto Ariaza on the undercard, which is going to be on ESPN+. Plus. Saucedo is a favorite, but he's under 2-1 to one at most betting sites. These coming in are actually around minus 160. This is a really close fight, and it should be. There, there's no odds out yet on the undercard. The key thing here, the main event is extremely important in terms of what Top Rank is doing at ESPN because not only does it promise to be a really good fight, I mean, it's a, great, a potentially great stylistic matchup, potentially great TB fight, Uh, just in terms of visual television. But they're putting it on after the NBA on a Friday night and testing out a common theory uh, that people like me, quite frankly, have had in boxing where the NBA audience in particular has a lot of crossovers with boxing and their TV audiences. There are a few things working against it, like the start time and that it's Friday instead of Saturday night. But if this ends up working out well, you're going to see a lot more of it. I mean, they also paid a lot of money for this fight in particular, and they're tying in like a local audience. Saucedo is an Oklahoma City fighter. You've got the NBA tying in with Oklahoma City. I mean, it's a smart risk, and it's an important one to see if they can pull it off. There's also a Showbox card on Friday night. I mean, I typically don't cover those, but I just want to address it since, you know, now we're in the streaming world. There are a lot more low, lower-level cards Um when there is a particularly relevant Showbox fight, I will talk about it more. I mean, the, the, there's a big prospect from Philly fighting on it, um, so I don't, I don't, you know, it's not a great matchup, uh, but I will talk about Showbox cards from time to time. On Saturday, November seventeenth, on the Zone from Mulvane, Kansas. So I mean, really focusing on Middle America this weekend. We have Jarrell Big Baby Miller versus Bog- Bogdan Dinu. Brandon Rios versus Ramon Alvarez. Clarissa Shields versus Hannah Rankin. And Gabe Rosado versus Luis Arias. Nico Hernandez, the 2016 U.S. Olympian, who is also a local. He's on the card as well. Um, a lot of This is a cynical card. A lot of mismatches here. I mean, the odds tell a bit of the story. Miller is somewhere around 10 or 12 to 1 as a favorite. Shields is (laughs) as high as like 100 to 1. And there weren't even odds on the other fights. I will say Rosado-Arias should be a pretty good fight. I mean, it's definitely closely matched. I'm not sure if it's going to make for great television. And the Rios fight, I mean, it shouldn't be that close. But that is a really cynical fight. I mean, Rios could be totally shot and it might be dangerous for him to be fighting at all right now. Um, You know, in addition to feeling a little queasy about that fight, the Miller and Shields fights don't really do that much for anyone. I mean, they kind of keep him busy, and that's about it, but they don't really do much for their careers. Even the Rosado Arias fight, which, like I said, is well-matched, I'm not really sure what happens to the winner of it. So... Not a great effort from DAZN, but like I mentioned earlier, I think that's okay for right now. I give them a pass instead of third card, and the most important thing from them is going to be what happens after Canelo fights December 15th. And they've been putting on the World Boxing Super Series. They get a pass for that. That's been some great fights on all the time. On Saturday, November 24th, on HBO in their penultimate fight card, I'm assuming ever. Dimitri Bivol fights Jean Pascal at light heavyweight. And Mirajin Akhmadaliev, with all of his four career fights, takes on Isaac Zerate. No odds yet out on either fight. And if we're going to be honest, neither of them is super interesting. Bivol is definitely an interesting fighter, and maybe Pascal does give him a hard time. But we all probably know how this ends at this point. Unfortunately, Pascal might be a shot fighter. And BVOL is definitely not a shot fighter. BVOL is definitely a fighter on the rise who has looked great. He will probably knock out Pascal, I hope, without doing any permanent damage. As for the Undercard, there are very few fighters we've seen with less than 10 fights on the HBO platform. They are mostly future Hall of Famers who are prized prospects coming out of the amateurs. And this guy, Akhmadaliev, he does have an impressive amateur career, but nothing justifying anything remotely approaching this spot. I mean, I think the last fighter we saw with this few fights was Lomachenko, who had two Olympic gold medals, and this guy won a bronze. Um... It is Thanksgiving weekend. I'm not going to give HBO a pass on this. I mean, Beval Pascal is a fairly cynical fight just based on where Pascal is at this point in his career. And I don't know what's happening with the undercard. As I said, there will be an article on this. I'm very passionate about the subject of pay per view and what is happening with the sub 300,000 by level pay per view card. Um, and like I said, other stuff coming, I definitely want to talk about Fox. I definitely want to mention, uh, I want like I said last time, I want to have a viewer experience episode. I think we're now almost enough fights into the DAZN experience to start really talking about what we're seeing there. I want to talk about what each network has done, sort of have that end of the year episode and, and talk about what value you get, like how much each broadcasting entity costs you and what value you're getting from it. It's a lot to go over just before the year's over. And and then we're going to be hitting January hard. I mean, who knew that we'd be seeing, I guess, Manny Pacquiao fighting Adrian Broner so soon? And on pay-per-view, I don't agree with it, like I said, but that's what, that's what might be happening. So fun analysis coming up. Still some fun fights coming up. I think the month of December is great. Who knew that on December 22nd we're still going to be seeing a ton of great boxing. Looking forward to keep going with this, guys. This has been a lot of fun. It's just such an exciting time to be involved in this part of the sport. It really is. But I'm going to stop talking. Enjoy the fights. I will talk to you in two weeks. What you was looking for?